0: I was able to sort of practice acceptance and go with the flow of it all right like every phase it was like okay how do I move with it instead of against it and that was really a helpful practice during the process. Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello and welcome back to the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. We are now in season four, if you can believe it. And this is the 51st episode of the podcast. And I'm really excited to be back with you all. We took a break. As you know, we do seasons on this podcast because um, podcasting is a lot of work. It's fun. I enjoy it. And I really appreciate being able to take breaks um, and having breaks. And this last break, as most of you all know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, was in part due to my maternity leave. So I am just returning back to work after maternity leave. I gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. Her name is Amani Joy on May 13th. And um, I spent the last three months Primarily being her mom, learning how to be a mom, learning about her. And I'm really grateful for the time that Jason and I had with her. His mom was there supporting us. My parents were there supporting us. We had sort of extra help. Had friends be supportive as well. And so I'm really, I've been really grateful for maternity leave, um, for the fact that I could fund my own maternity leave. I like to say that the good thing about working for myself is I didn't have to negotiate my maternity leave with anyone. The hard thing is that there's no such thing as paid maternity leave, right? So, I mean, it is paid, but if I'm not earning money in my business, then that sort of impacts how much I can pay myself. But regardless, I'm really grateful that I had the money saved up, that I could. Uh, Take the time off because it was a really special time to just focus on being Amani's mom and learning how to do that and spending time with her and spending time with her and Jason. And I'm really grateful for it. I think, you know, I'm enjoying being a mom more than I expected. It's really a joy to see her develop and grow. And you know, to be part of that and to nourish her and breastfeed her and take care of her and comfort her, all of that is really a joy. And so I'm I'm very grateful for it. And you know, what I thought I would do is share a little bit about my birth story or Amani Joy's birth story on this episode and kind of how I moved through that and the lessons that I took from the birth story, as well as those that I think you might be able to gain from my experience and apply it to your own life, regardless of whether you're pregnant or not pregnant or never have been or never will be. I think there are lessons in this experience that you might be able to take away. So let's dive into it. So I am a planner. (laughs) I am a planner. Though I will say Jason sort of puts me to shame with planning because he's like an extreme planner. I'm definitely a planner. He's like, you know, to all the way on the end of very, very much of a planner. But I like, you know, I like to be in control. I think most of us do. And one of the ways that you do that is by planning. And over the years, I would say I've sort of relaxed that a little bit, right? As I've grounded myself in my worthiness, as I've gotten sort of more comfortable with the unknown and the uncertain, I've been less attached to planning everything. And as I've trusted more, right, that things can work out really well, even if I don't have the perfect plan for them. I've, I've relaxed the planning, but you know, I like to be prepared. And if I have my mind or heart set on wanting something to go a certain way, that I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen, to make it possible. Knowing that everything may not be in my control and I may do everything I can, but it may not work out, but I'm going to do what I can to prepare. And I would say in general, in my life, I tend to get what I want, right? I tend to, you know, the things that I want in life tend to work out sooner or later. Sometimes it's later, but usually I get what I want. And so I'm, I'm sort of used to that, maybe spoiled a little bit. So you know, when I went into this pregnancy process, I started to kind of think about what kind of birth did I want to have? What kind of delivery did I want to have? And, you know, maybe it's the Californian in me. Maybe it's because my grandmother was really um, sort of into natural health and kind of, You know, natural remedies and things like that. But I decided fairly quickly that I wanted to have an unmedicated vaginal delivery if at all possible. And so I sort of knew, like, I cannot control all of this, but that's what I wanted. And so we decided to take an online sort of natural birth class. I hired a doula who was wonderful. Um, And I really started to prepare myself for giving birth um, without medical intervention. And so I was sort of preparing myself physically. I was doing yoga that was specifically designed to prepare my body for birth or vaginal delivery without medication, medical intervention. I was listening to meditations and talks and podcasts and all sorts of things to prepare myself mentally to cope with the contractions, with the pain. I was reading a book. That a friend recommended called Nurture to help me think about pain and contractions in a different way. You know, I was doing a lot to prepare myself mentally, emotionally, and physically to make sure that I could, you know, cope with the pain of contractions and follow through on my hope for a vaginal delivery without an epidural. And I even sort of pretty late in my pregnancy, around 30, 32 weeks, decided to shift from working with an OBGYN to a midwife practice. And the reason I made that shift is because the sort of more I learned about giving birth in a hospital, the more I realized that, you know, hospitals are wonderful and great, especially if you need interventions, especially if something goes wrong and they tend to over-index on interventions, even if you don't need them, um, if nothing is going wrong. And so my decision was to change to the care of a midwives at a birth center so that I could give birth at a birth center instead of at a hospital. And I felt like that would be more conducive, would make it more likely that I would would, that my plan, my hope for an unmedicated vaginal delivery would come to fruition. So I even did that. And, you know, my OBGYN was really wonderful. And I decided sort of overall, I felt more comfortable trying to give birth in a birth center. And in order to do that, I needed to be under the care of midwives were also wonderful. So I did, I made that switch. So I really was doing what I could to prepare. I was really trying to make sure that I was prepared that everything that I could do everything that was in my power and my control that I that I did that so that was all going smoothly one of the things that I was worried about sort of leading up to the birth was one preeclampsia because I'm at high risk preeclampsia is a condition in pregnancy where your blood pressure is elevated there's proteins in your urine and basically it's really life-threatening um, and so you if you have preeclampsia, the baby has to be delivered early. And so I was concerned about preeclampsia because I was at high risk and my blood pressure was sort of like borderline during parts of my pregnancy, borderline high. And I was also concerned about so I was concerned about pre and I was just generally concerned about whether or not I would make it full term because in order to give birth at a birth center, you have to, you have to be between 38 and 42 weeks. And if you're earlier than that, you have to go to a hospital. And if you're later than that, you have to go to a hospital. So it was sort of like, okay, can I make it in this window? And thankfully, Amani made it full term. So she, um, wasn't born until, uh, 41 weeks. So they consider full term, I think. At 40 weeks, otherwise it's it's thirty-eight, thirty-eight weeks. So she was full term, she was good to go, and she decided to stay in the womb, stay in the oven a little longer. I guess it was pretty comfy and cozy in there for her. She was not trying to get out. So about like four days, about five days after her due date, um, I started having contractions. Actually, that was when things intensified, but I, I was having contractions sort of on and off for about four days leading up to sort of, The more intense contractions in my water breaking. And so it was a Wednesday evening, my contractions started to intensify. And it was kind of like, okay, great. Like we may be here because contractions had been happening on and off for about four days or so. And we kept being like, "Ah, is this it? Ah, Is this it? Ah, Is this it? (laughs) And it was like, no, it's not it. No, the contractions didn't stop. And so we were sort of excited to like, okay, these contractions are coming. They're coming more intensely. Like, This is seems like it's go time. And then in the middle of the night on Wednesday night, kind of Thursday morning, my water broke. So that was like a real sign like, okay, like this is happening. Labor is happening. Active labor is happening. So that was exciting. So we called the midwives in the middle of the night. You know, one of the things about sort of midwife care and giving birth at a birth center is they really encourage you to stay at home for as long as possible. So you don't like, you don't have your water break and like rush to the hospital or rush to the birth center. You, you wait because the idea is that you still, you still have a ways to go. So we called them. They were kind of like, okay, chill at home, rest as much as you can, you know, breathe through the contractions, all of that stuff. So we did that. And then around like seven, eight in the morning, we headed to the birth center and that's when we got sort of the first piece of not so great news, which was even though I had been lab- like I had been having active contractions for about 12 hours, my water had broken, maybe like seven hours prior, I was not dilated. And for those of you who are not familiar, you're supposed to be dilated about, uh, I think it's 10 centimeters. So you're supposed to get to 10 centimeters before you sort of start pushing and the baby can come out. So I wasn't dilated. And the other thing that needs to happen is that your baby's head needs to be engaged in your pelvis, right? The baby has to sort of be in position to start making their way through the birth canal. And that wasn't happening either. So I wasn't dilated and no engagement in the pelvis. So it's like, not great sign, but it was early. So they just let me keep laboring. So I probably spent... Another seven or so hours, maybe like eight hours at the birth center laboring. We had an amazing nurse. So the nice thing about the birth center is it's set up like a nice bedroom, right? So I was on a bed. There's a private bathroom. It feels really nice and comfortable. So it's much more comfortable than a hospital for me. So we were laboring there. The nurse was helpful. She was putting me in different positions to help move labor along. I was breathing. Uh, Eventually my doula came. She was putting me in different positions. Jason's there supporting, right? So we're just doing all of the things, right? I'm resting when I can. I'm doing different positions. I'm breathing through all the positions, really trying to sort of stay calm, stay present, all of those things. So we did that for like eight hours and then I was checked again and I probably had been checked earlier in the day and around that was around 4 PM and my wound wife checked me again and I still wasn't really dilated Ew, and the baby still was not engaged in my pelvis. So that was a big disappointment. (laughs) We have been working, I've been working, I was getting tired because I had been, you know, sort of in active labor and having these contractions for a long time. But progress wasn't being made, which is really hard, because it's one thing to have contractions and experience pain and feel like, okay, this is getting me closer to seeing my baby. But it's another thing to feel like, oh, I'm going through all of this, and we're not progressing. So At that point, um, the midwives recommended that I transfer to a hospital. And I always knew that that could be a possibility, right, that I might need to be transferred to the hospital because of any number of reasons, any complications. And so they have a relationship with the hospital I went to. I was transferred via ambulance. That was not a comfortable ride. It is not fun to be in a car when you have contractions. No fun at all. But I made it. And when I got there, it seemed like my water sort of broke again, I had like a bunch of amniotic fluid just go down my legs, which was not fun. But it seemed like it was making I was making progress because the water broke again, we thought, okay, maybe that was holding things up, I also started to dilate. So in the hospital continue to labor, my doula's is there, Jason's there, we're still trying different positions, I'm still breathing through the contractions. Um, part of the reason they wanted me to transfer to the hospital is to give me to have access to something called Pitocin, which is a s- synthetic form of oxytocin and helps to increase contractions, increase the strength of them. And the thinking was: if that if, if that happens, and hopefully labor will progress more, I'll dilate more, the baby will get engaged in my pelvis and we'll kind of move this along. So the hope at that point was still that I could have a vaginal delivery, all good. So then eventually <laughs> eventually after probably about 24 hours of contractions maybe longer i asked for an epidural and so this is something that i really didn't want i sort of went in thinking i do not want an epidural i didn't want the potential side effects i didn't i wanted to be able to feel the delivery i wanted to be able to push and feel it and i don't know if that makes me a masochist but i i wanted that experience and so getting to the point where I was so exhausted that I just couldn't do it anymore. And asked for an epidural was a big deal. And it was disappointing, right? I felt like it was the right thing to do at that point because I was so tired, but it was disappointing to be at that point. So I asked for an epidural, they gave me an epidural, and then we continued laboring for a number of hours. And then we got to around 4 a.m. Friday morning. So The contraction started Wednesday evening, labored at the birth center most of the day Thursday, labored in the hospital kind of like Thursday night to Friday. So then Friday morning, 4 a.m., the attending doctor comes in and I've dilated eight centimeters. So I've dilated at that point, but the baby is still not engaged in my pelvis. You won't break my soul. You won't break my soul. I am so excited to invite you to join me for my free You Won't Break My Soul Challenge. This is a five-day self-worth challenge inspired by songs from Beyonce's latest album, Renaissance. In this free challenge, you will learn how to get free from conditions you've placed on your worth, how to love yourself and get comfortable in your skin, and how to claim your greatness and unconditional Self worth. The challenge will take place from Monday, September 19th through Friday, September 23rd. We'll meet every day on Zoom where I'll be teaching and coaching you on making sure that nothing and no one can break your soul. This challenge is going to be fun, uplifting, and empowering. So if you want to make sure that your soul is unbreakable, secure your spot now by going to unconditionallyworthy.com forward slash challenge. And remember, it's Free. Be sure to invite a friend. The party is always more fun when there's more people. I cannot wait to see you there. So, at that point, the attending doctor and and I felt like I will say that I did feel like the the physicians, the, the gynec, the OBs who were serving me were really respectful of the fact that I wanted to have a vaginal delivery. I didn't feel like they were like, "Come on, we got to just get you out of here. Let's do a C-section." It felt like they gave me a lot of time. But at that point, I was exhausted. The baby was not engaged in my pelvis and they recommended that I have a C-section. And so That was really hard, right? That was the opposite of what I wanted. I wanted an unmedicated vaginal delivery in a birth center. And I ended up, you know, having a C-section in a hospital. And it felt clear at that point that that really was the best case scenario. My doula agreed, she was really supportive. And so I agreed to have a C-section. And Usually C-sections are pretty straightforward, right? They go in, they get the baby out, they they close you up and you're good to go, right? I think it's usually like a 30 minute procedure. So the start of the C-section was fine. And then when they pulled baby girl out of me, she was in a weird position, which is not shocking. And she hit my incision with her arm. Also not shocking because her arms are very strong. <laughs> and when she hit my incision, it, sort of opened the incision further and I lost a lot of blood. So I ended up losing. So I will say like, I got to see her, right. They, they delivered the baby. They took her, examined her. I got to see her. Jason was with her. I was alert and awake, but then I started to lose blood. And so I ended up losing three liters of blood and that's over half the blood in your body. So it was le- losing a lot of blood and then they decided that they needed to call in consults because they were concerned that maybe some other organ or something had been damaged. And then they had to wait for the consults to come because some of the consults were at home and weren't in the hospital yet. So in that time, Jason was sent out of the room with the baby. I was then kind of like, I can feel y'all. <laughs> I can feel you in me because they don't, you don't do general anesthesia for, um, for a C-section, which is great because you get to meet your baby right away. So then they put me under with some narcotic or did something. So I was out and I didn't come to until kind of it was done, but I was under for two hours, um, while they were sort of figuring out what was going on, while the consults were coming in and yeah. So what started as a hope for a vaginal delivery without medical inter- intervention ended up as Uh, a C-section with complications, with multiple doctors in the room, with narcotics, with being put under, right? There's so many things that happened and it took a toll on my body, right? It was traumatic for my body. So, you know, C-section is a major surgery. And then to have complications and to lose blood, I thankfully didn't need a blood transfusion because my hemoglobin levels were already high, going in. So I didn't end up needing a blood transfusion, but that's a lot, right? Like that's a lot for a body to go through. It was a lot for my body to go through. And it meant that I really needed to recover, which is also part of what I was hoping to avoid. And so it was a lot. And I guess I'm telling you this story one for my own sort of benefit and processing too, because I, you know, hope that you might find it interesting And three, because this is really an experience of me not getting what I wanted. This is really an experience of me doing everything I could think of, everything I learned to do, to prepare, to have the birth that I wanted and not getting that. And I think that how I moved through that was a sort of lesson for me, a learning for me, and I think can be helpful for you, right? Because there was a big discrepancy, discrepancy between what I wanted, what I planned for, what I hoped for, and what I ended up experiencing. And that discrepancy meant that I had a longer recovery time. It meant that my breast melt took a long time to come in. It meant that I was in the hospital for four days when if I had given birth at the birth center, I would have gone home the same day, right? It meant a lot, Right. And so I want to share with you kind of how I moved through that, how I use some of the practices that I talk with you all about a lot to move through this challenging experience. And it also meant that while I was both so excited and overjoyed to meet my baby girl, I was also experiencing this frustration and confusion and disappointment. And that's hard, right? That was hard to hold all of that together. But I think it's not uncommon for people who give birth to have a different experience than they were hoping for, to have a complicated experience and to feel like, torn and pulled, like excited and happy to have your baby, but also overwhelmed or confused and have all of this going on, whether it's that your baby needs to be in the NICU for a while, or you have physical complications or the birth didn't go as you hoped, right? Or whatever it is. Um, So I hope that this is helpful for those of you who might've had a similar experience. So what did I do? How did I show up to this experience for myself? With the disappointment. So the first is I practice acceptance and I really feel like acceptance carried me through my labor and delivery because since I did everything that I could think of to prepare myself, since I, you know, was guided by a doula who I really trusted by midwives who I really trusted. Since I was listening to podcasts, since I was doing all of these things, I really was able to be in a space of acceptance at every stage of the the labor and delivery, right? So at every time, right, like when I was in a space where we needed to decide whether or not to transfer to the hospital, I felt very accepting because I felt like I had done everything I could, and this was just not how it was going to go. When we made the decision to, when I made the decision to get an epidural, I felt a sense of acceptance because I had labored for so long. I had tried all of the positions. I had co, I had done so much laboring at that point that I could accept that I was in a space where an epidural made sense for me personally. Right. I, when we moved to a C-section to, I could accept that fact because I felt like I did all of the positions, I did all the breathing, I did everything I could to try to help the baby engage in my pelvis, to try to help myself to dilate and it wasn't happening. And so practicing acceptance, instead of resisting what was happening, instead of fighting the experience was really so helpful. It helped me to move through the experience with grace, even though it wasn't going as I hoped. Even though there were disappointments along the way, I felt like I could offer myself grace and I could be present and accepting in the moment and with the process instead of being angry and frustrated and fighting against what was happening. One of the things that we learned um, after when Amani was being delivered is that her, the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck twice right? Which is really scary. And that is probably the reason that she could not engage in the pelvis. And it's also the reason it's good that she didn't come out vaginally, right? As much as I wanted that, she had some wisdom to say, I'm not going that way, right? Because she could have been severely injured, had, you know, damage if she had, you know, if the umbilical cord had choked her or something had happened. So, I'm accepting. I'm thankful, right? That her wisdom was better than mine, right? That her wisdom to stay put, to not engage in the pelvis, to not get to a place where she was getting pulled on, where her neck was getting compressed, right? Thank goodness, thank God that she didn't go through the birth canal. So that also fostered my acceptance of the way things happened, right? Feeling like, you know, maybe she wasn't supposed to come out vaginally, right? That wouldn't have actually been safe for her. And it would have been so much more complicated if I was at the birth center and then she was coming out vaginally. And then we saw the cord wrapped and then I had to really emergently go to the hospital. So I was able to sort of practice acceptance and go with the flow of it all, right? Like every phase, it was like, okay, how do I move with it instead of against it? And that was really a helpful practice during the process. The other thing is that I allowed myself to grieve for what could have been. I was disappointed, right? I was sad that things didn't turn out the way that I wanted them to. And I was really looking forward to a special experience right after my baby was born and putting her on my chest and having her latch onto my breast and breastfeed immediately and having this moment with... Jason and my baby. I was really looking forward to that. I was really hopeful that that would happen. And the C-section, especially since I had complications, meant that that wasn't going to happen. And I think it would be easy for people to say to me and for me to say to myself, well, you should get over it because you have a healthy baby, so you should be happy, right? And the truth is that I am so happy to have a healthy baby. And as you can maybe hear in my voice, I had to grieve the fact that I didn't get to have the birth experience that I wanted to. And I didn't get to have some of the special and precious moments that I was really looking forward to. And so I also gave myself space to grieve that. And it was complicated because I'm on the one hand so joyful that I have this baby and so grateful. On the other hand, I have this sadness and this grief and this confusion about why it didn't go as I hoped. But I gave myself space for all of that. I gave myself room for all of that. I didn't invalidate my experience. One of the things that I'm really grateful for is the birth center. It's the birth center of Chicago, which is where I received midwife care and was hoping to have the baby. They provide healing baths. And so they have these wonderful, beautiful baths in their birthing rooms where you can labor and deliver if you want a water, if you want a water delivery. And they offer healing baths for people who were planning to give birth at the birth center, but for whatever reason, weren't able to do that. And so, um, you know, six to eight weeks after um, we had Imani, me, Jason and Amani went back and we had a healing bath. And that was so helpful because I was able to have some of the experience of a special moment with the three of us in the space that I wanted to have it in. And so I'm really grateful to the people at the birth center of Chicago for offering that and making that happen. The third thing that helped me move through this was keeping perspective and focusing on what I'm grateful for, right? So it is important for me not to get so caught up in the fact that the birth didn't go well that I overlook the fact that I have a healthy baby and that I'm healthy, right? And so I do. In addition to allowing myself to grieve, I have really focused on what I'm grateful for, which is a healthy full term pregnancy, a healthy baby, good healthy insurance, good health insurance, high quality healthcare from good providers who are very caring family support, the support of my husband, right? I am so grateful for many, many things in this process. Ultimately, I'm so grateful to have Amani Joy in my life. Um, I'm grateful that my body is coming back to itself, that it's resilient. And so I'm keeping those things in mind, right? I'm also focusing on my gratitude and that's really been helpful. And so, you know, I hope that you can take these things with you, regardless of whether or not you're pregnant or will ever have a child through pregnancy. But I want you to think about how could you apply these things, these practices to challenges that you might go through, right? The practice of acceptance and acceptance. People often think acceptance means resignation, like, oh, fine, right? Oh, fine. I'll have to do that, right? Acceptance means accepting what is as it is. And actually acceptance supports us in making thoughtful, intentional choices versus reacting or fighting against what is, right? So if you, if you break your foot, accepting your foot, that your foot is broken doesn't mean that you're saying, well, my foot will always be broken and, you know it just sucks, and my foot's broken. I uh, and you and you re- resign to it. It means okay, I've broken my foot. What do I need to do to heal my foot? It's from that acceptance that your foot is broken that you do what you need to do to heal it, right? So if you're going through a challenging time, if you're having a hard experience, I want you to think about what is a way that you can practice acceptance. So instead of fighting and resisting, how could you accept where it is and see what's the next best choice you can make given the situation. The next thing is grief. How can you allow, grieving, how can you allow yourself to grieve what could have been? How can you allow yourself to acknowledge the disappointment that the situation is not what you hoped? Instead of invalidating your feelings, allow yourself to feel them and move through them, right? Offer yourself compassion and kindness and empathy related to any grief or disappointment you might feel related to how things are turning out or have turned out. And then the last thing is keeping perspective, right? This does not mean invalidating the grief, but it means also acknowledging that in addition to the grief and disappointment, there are things to be grateful for. There are things in your life that are a blessing. There are things in your life that are going well. And so it helps you to keep a balanced perspective if you focus also on what you're grateful for. You know, I talk a lot about embracing your unconditional self-worth and the journey to do that. And I wanted to share this story because, you know, often when I'm talking about um, embracing our unconditional self-worth, I'm talking about how that improves your life. And I am a believer that knowing that you're worthy, believing truly that you are unconditionally worthy and treating yourself as though you're unconditionally worthy does improve your life. It certainly has been true for me and it has been true for the people who have taken my courses and group coaching program. And... It doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you will never have disappointment or frustration. But what it does mean is that in the midst of difficult experiences, you will know how to show up for yourself you will know how to take care of yourself. You will be able to offer yourself compassion and kindness and grace and forgiveness. And these are the things that help you to heal and move forward and get back to life as you hope it would be. When instead we face challenges and we beat ourselves up and we criticize ourselves and we blame ourselves and we think, oh, I must not deserve good things. I must deserve bad things. That's when we stay stuck. So the practices that I offer in this podcast and in my unconditionally worthy group coaching program are practices designed not only to make your life better, to make life be filled with more peace and joy and prosperity, but they also help you when life is hard. They also help you to show up and cope with challenging things in your life. And I don't know about you, but the reality is that, you know, none of us can get through this life without challenges, right? There is so much going on in the world and we're going to experience some challenges. That's the nature of life. The task we have is to cope with those challenges well. And I wanna help you cope with those challenges well. So I'm really excited to tell you about something that I've designed to help you cope with those challenges. And it's a five-day challenge, a five-day you won't break my soul challenge, right? We all need to have that in us, a you won't break my soul, internal circumstances, internal voices, external circumstances. We don't want our souls to break. Yes, this challenge is inspired by Beyonce's new song, You Won't Break My Soul. And actually the challenge is really inspired by a number of songs from Beyonce's Renaissance album. I am so excited about this challenge. We're gonna have a ton of fun building ourselves up connecting to our sense of worthiness, learning ways to cope with challenges so that nothing and no one can break our soul while also supporting ourselves in this fun and uplifting and inspiring community. So I am so excited about this challenge. It's free. So why not join, right? You're going to get so much value out of it. You're going to have fun. You're going to feel connected. You're going to feel uplifted. You're going to come away with really useful coping strategies. So if you feel like, yeah, I could use some of that, right? Yeah, I could use some helpful ways to respond when life is challenging. And I could also use some ways to make my life feel even better. This is the challenge for you. So I want you to enroll. I want you to sign up at unconditionallyworthy.com forward slash challenge. Okay. Unconditionallyworthy.com forward slash challenge. The challenge is going to start on September 19th. It's a Monday. You can learn all about it on the website I just uh, shared with you. And it's linked in the show notes. I really hope you'll come. I also hope you'll bring a friend. It's totally free. It's going to be fun. It's going to be value filled. Why not, right? Like, let's have some fun on our self-worth journeys. And why not be inspired by Beyonce's new album, which is fabulous, by the way. If you haven't heard it, if you haven't listened to it, I strongly recommend it. So. I hope that hearing my birth story and hearing how I responded to it is inspiring to you. I hope it connects to you. And I'm so excited um, for the rest of the season. I'll just give you a little heads up. So this this month in September, we're going to have episodes where I'm coaching people. We're going to have an episode with one of my former coaching members. We're going to have amazing guest episodes. So be sure to continue to tune in. To the podcast. And we're also going to have some episodes where I answer listener questions. So, very grateful to have you listening. Please share this episode. Please share the podcast with someone that you think would benefit from it as well. Thanks as always. Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagoodin.com, and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Adia Gooden. If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Waterboy.